Jesus tells the healed man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. One of the things I like to draw out from this verse is that everyone, no matter what their educational background is, can tell others what God has done for them. Everyone can share testimonies about how good God has been to them. And that's one way that they can be serving God. How do you teach the power of Jesus Christ to those who live in genuine fear of the power of the devil? Today, we sat down once again with Joel Kenny, Bible teacher in Ratanakiri province in northeastern Cambodia, who teaches the gospel in a context where people live with a genuine fear of demons and the devil. Christians in the region often face persecution even from their families for not worshipping the animist spirits, but instead worshipping the Lord Jesus alone. We spoke to Joelle today about Bible truths she teaches to people wrestling with such struggles, as well as how she continually ministers to them and equips them to stand firm in the word of Jesus Christ. My name's Tiff Stromso. And my name's Leo Elborn. And this is the Bible Matters podcast, encouraging faithful Bible teaching and ministry. Joel Kenny, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Joel, why in the 21st century, the modern era, do we still need teaching about Jesus's power over demons and the devil? Yeah, so the majority of the world's religions believe evil exists and people are in many parts of the world very afraid of it. So that's why I like to begin with a story when I enter a new village uh, to work with hill tribe people, a story about how Jesus uh, casts out demons. So for example, the story of Jesus in the Gerasenes, healing a demon-possessed man by sending the evil spirits into a herd of pigs. I find it's a really good hook to get people interested in who Jesus is and what he came to do. But it's also a story that meets hill tribe people where they're at. So they believe Satan exists and they are extremely fearful of evil spirits. They are so afraid, they spend a lot of money seeking the wisdom of witch doctors for guidance on how to protect themselves. And they perform animal sacrifices in an attempt to appease an evil spirit who they believe may be wishing to harm them, uh, usually in the form of sickness or a bad harvest or accidents. But more importantly, the Bible itself tells us evil exists. So the Gospel of Mark again and again insists on the reality of demons. Right from the first chapter of Mark, uh, Jesus gives his time and energy to casting demons out. And throughout the Gospel, Mark is quite unapologetic that there is a real enemy of Christ, uh, an enemy that Jesus describes in John 10 verse 10 as a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I think maybe in the West, we see Satan working in a different way or beating to a different drum. But I think we see him at work nevertheless. Um, I think we often see him discourage weak, new and weary believers with a variety of temptations or a twisting of the truth. I wonder as well if perhaps those beliefs in evil supernatural forces maybe are more prevalent actually in this city in the West than we think we are. I mean, I had a conversation with a with a businessman here in the city not too long ago who's a good good guy good businessman and he told me he's really scared of demons mm. 
just a couple of days ago, actually, as well, I was, I was at a comedy show, but one of the acts, it definitely wasn't funny. It was like a voodoo act. I was totally taken by surprise, but he got out this like bird's claw and mm. started doing like magic tricks. And obviously, you know, it was all a trick. Um, but I guess there is that underlying belief actually, even in this culture. Mm. And I think even if people don't address it, they, they don't know what to say about it. Mm. So just stay silent, but it's still a question they have over mm. where does this come from? What do we do with it? How can we go on knowing that evil exists? Will it ever be dealt with? It is a question we all have. Yeah. Yeah. In this podcast, we're going to be focusing on that bit of Mark that you mentioned, Mark chapter five, verses one to 20, the story of Jesus in the Gerasenes healing a demon possessed man. I wonder, Joelle, if you can tell us your process of preparing a Bible study. Usually I reserve a whole morning to preparing the first draft of the Bible study. So a morning, hopefully, where there won't be any distractions. I just simply open the text and work on the text itself. So I will read and compare the passage both in the English language and also in the local Cambodian language of Khmer. And I will then write down my conclusions that I come to about the text. So what I think the main points of the passage are. Then when I've written those conclusions, I will begin to plan questions. That usually takes me the whole morning. I will then have a break and have lunch. And then in the afternoon, I go back to the study and translate the questions that I'd started writing into the Khmer language. Can you just tell us then a little bit about Mark 5? Yeah, so this story of Jesus's encounter with a demon-possessed man is, you know, it's 20 verses long. Usually when I begin to study a story that I want to teach, um, I, I first of all begin to break the story down into more than one part, if that's possible. So in this story, verses 1 to 13 are the narrative of what happened. So the narrative of the healing itself. And so this would be part one of the story. So that's where Jesus does actually drive out the demons. That's right. Yeah. And then verses 14 to 20 are the people's responses to the healing. And so that is part two of the story. Now, beginning with part one, uh, we see that the main characters in the story are Jesus, uh, the man possessed by the evil spirits, and then the evil spirits themselves. And in part one, I would want us to be noticing and comparing uh, the authority of the evil spirit with the authority of Jesus. So I'm asking, what is the condition of the man when he's under the authority of evil? And we can see in the passage that he lives among the tombs, he is out of control, people can't subdue him and he's harming himself. He's crying out and cutting himself with stones. It's pretty ugly. It's pretty ugly. So under the authority of evil, his life is basically being destroyed. But if we compare that with the, compare the same man when he comes under the authority of Jesus, so Jesus expels the spirit from the man, he gives permission for the spirits to go into the pigs. And in verse 15, the man is suddenly sitting there clothed and in his right mind. So under the authority of Jesus, the man is rescued and he's given his life back. And I guess an application for part one of the story will be along the lines of, you know, whose authority do you want to be under, Jesus or Satan? And if you are already under the authority of Jesus, do we still need to be afraid of evil? And I think no. I think no, because we see in this story that Jesus has the stronger power. Now, in part two, we see the responses of the people. We see people from the country and from the city hearing about the miracle 
and coming to see with their own eyes the once demon-possessed man who is now sitting clothed in his, in his right mind. And as the story is described to them, they see the man and their response is that they are afraid. They're afraid of Jesus's demonstration of power and they beg Jesus to leave. But let's now compare their response with the response of the healed man. He wants to follow Jesus and begs Jesus to let him go with him. And so I guess from this part, I would want to bring out that there are two responses to Jesus. You either reject him and you want nothing to do with him, or you accept him and you want to follow him. And I guess at this point, I'd want to be asking from these two responses, which is the correct one? What response should we be making to Jesus from this story? You know, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was reading this very passage. I was going through Mark's gospel with a man um, from Thailand, a guy who lived in Bangkok. And I, I just remember the re- really the relief on his face mm. as we read this story. And he said, all over my house, we have all sorts of things yeah. to keep the demons out. And I said to him, Christians don't need to be afraid yeah. of demons. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was tangible, the look on his face. Yeah. He was so pleased. Yeah. Now, this may be a very familiar passage to you, um, passages in the Gospels particularly. How do you motivate yourself to work hard when you come to a passage that you already know? Well, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible, isn't it? It's it's so rich, it's so deep that it's inexhaustible. And even passages that we're familiar with, we read or study them again and something fresh hits us or something fresh touches our hearts or draws us into the story. And so I don't, th- if I'm being honest, I don't think I've ever felt like, oh, I know this story already, so I don't need to work on it or to study it further. I think there are always further things to discover or to think about or to apply from it. Joelle, this story in chapter five, what is the main point, do you think, that Mark is trying to teach us in this passage? Yeah, I think at this stage in Mark's gospel, it's Jesus's identity. So um, Mark's gospel from the very start has been building a picture of who Jesus is. So we've seen already in the previous chapter that Jesus has power over sickness and nature. So the story just before this one is Jesus calming the storm. And now we see uh, with the healing of the demon-possessed man that Jesus has power over Satan and evil. And then the story after this one is Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. So I think it's trying to show that Jesus is no ordinary man. He has power over sickness, nature, evil, and even death. And so Mark wants us to see that Jesus is God, that he's here in the flesh and that the miracles are recorded here to prove it. Joelle, in the last episode, you talked about how you do your Bible studies with the girls in your dorm, but also groups of women in the villages. Uh, Can you just paint a picture for us of uh, where and when you do your studies in the villages? Yeah, so if it's a village um, that already has a church building, then usually we'll meet there. If not, we will meet in the shade under someone's house. So the hill tribe houses are made of either wood or split bamboo, and they're built on stilts. So during the day, the houses are too hot to sit inside. 
But under the house is an area of nice shade where the breeze can blow through and where people hang out uh, during the during the heat of the day. So usually we will roll out a mat under the house and meet there. And first we will sing a few songs. Then we'll, we'll do the Bible study. And after that, a time of sharing and prayer. You know, in the UK church, we're always big on like tea and coffee and cake after the service. Is there an equivalent in Ratanagiri? Yeah, we do have a snack afterwards, actually. So <laughs> we usually have something like uh, banana chips or fruit. Ah. I mean, the tribal people just love eating fruit. They're very healthy eaters. Yeah. So mangoes. <laughs> um, yeah. I imagine the fruit's probably a bit better there than the stuff we get in plastic tubs and Sainsbury's. <laughs> yeah, no, the fruit's great and it's all seasonal, you know. So whatever is whatever's in season, we'll be snacking on that after the after the Bible study. Can you just tell us a bit more about who these studies are for and, and how do they hear about them? How is it that they come to join these Bible studies? Among the Krung tribe, there are currently nine churches in nine different villages. So some of those churches are very small. They're only two families worshipping together on a Sunday in one of their homes. But some of them are bigger. Some of them are maybe more like four or five families and maybe a group of youth. Um, or some of them are maybe have lots of women in them. Um, so when I visit a village and I see that there's a significant number of women in the church or a significant number of youth, I will then approach that group and say, hey, do you want to get together during the week to study the Bible? And so far, they've always said yes. Is it because of the juicy fruits, you reckon? <laughs> I hope it's the Bible study more than that. <laughs> so, Joel, you mentioned about your prep in the text, about how you look at it and break it up into sections. Can you tell us, once you've done that, how do you then turn that into a study? How do you decide what questions to ask? Once I've split the passage into sections and worked out what we learn from each section about who Jesus is and people's responses to him, I then begin to write questions that are going to help us lead, going to help the people I'm doing the Bible study with um, lead them to the main point. So as I'm working with illiterate or low educated people, I need to approach the Bible study in a way that helps them commit the story to memory before we can actually analyze it. Mm, mm. So the people I work with have their own tribal language, but they can also speak the national Cambodian language of Khmer. So we begin by, so I'll read the passage um, in the national Cambodian language, and then the one literate person in the group will read the passage in their, in their local tribal language. So they've now heard the passage read twice. And then my first set of questions would be getting them to retell the story back to me. So for example, reading two verses at a time and then asking them what happened questions. So an example of a question would be, where is Jesus? Who came to meet Jesus? Uh, what did that person want from Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. And after we've been through the story verse by verse with them retelling the story back to me, that's when I feel that the story is in their memory enough that we can begin the dig deeper questions. So for example, questions about, you know, what do we learn about this story, uh, about who Jesus is, or what do we learn about the correct response to Jesus? It's an amazingly precious thing that you don't just go through the study with these women, but you do help them commit it to memory. And I guess that's something, well, within my own context, I guess we don't really do that well. People might remember a few details here and there, but we never really do that work of really getting people to remember 
mm. what's actually mm. happened. Yeah. And I guess you're doing that because it's necessary because they can't just look back down at the text That's right. and be reminded yeah. of what happened in verse exactly. 10. So it's necessary, but actually you've got something further there as well of you are almost getting it written on their hearts, which I think us in the West, because we just rely mm. on carrying a Bible around with us, mm. we don't have to. And yeah. so we don't tend to do. And That's it's right. embarrassing to think, actually, you can read a passage and 10 minutes later go, oh, I forgot most of the details. Yeah. So in each Bible study, they're hearing the story three times, first in their own tribal language, then in the Cambodian national language, which they can also speak, and then by retelling the story back to me. Verse by verse. Hmm, how can I apply this <laughs> to my Bible studies in English? Do you happen to know the Cambodian national language? <laughs> so, Joelle, can you take us through the questions you would ask for a study on Mark 5? Yeah, so with the story of the demon-possessed man in Mark 5, um, after reading the passage twice, I will then begin the questions that help them retell the story back to me. So remember, the purpose of this is because they're illiterate or of low education, and I want them to commit the story to memory before they can begin to analyse the story and get something from it. So, for example, I would read verse 1 and 2. And then I would ask, when Jesus arrives at the Gerasenes, who comes to meet him when he steps out of the boat? So it is really just kind of basic comprehension. Basic comprehension. Then I'd read verse 3 and 4 and ask, how had the man with the evil spirits been living? And really, I want them to pick up on his bad condition and how he seems to have this seemingly supernatural strength. Um, then I'd read verse six to seven and ask, when the man saw Jesus, what did he do and say? So I'll continue with questions like this until verse 13, till the end of part one of the story. And then I'll begin to help them draw conclusions from that first part of the story. So in this story, who has the greater power, Jesus or the evil spirits? And then maybe ask them if Jesus has this kind of power over Satan and evil, who does it prove Jesus is? Now, hopefully, they'll be able to answer God. I think I think they usually can. Yeah. Is, I guess, the concept of God's, I don't know, is that kind of new or do they, do they kind of understand when we say Jesus is God? Well, it's really interesting because the word for Jesus in the national Cambodian language is prayer, Yesu, and prayer means God. So huh. it's literally God, Jesus. Oh, wow. So Jesus, who is God. Yeah is actually the word for Jesus. So that's actually really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just Jesus the man, it's Jesus God. Yeah. Cool. So once they've got the main point of the passage about Jesus's identity, we want them to begin to apply it. Um, so to help them explore what difference it makes to their lives. So maybe a question like this, uh, for those of us who are Christians, who are already under the authority of Jesus, do we therefore need to be afraid of Satan and evil spirits? Now, for people who live in fear of evil spirits, uh, so much so that they their crippling fear causes them to waste a lot of money doing animal sacrifices and seeking the wisdom of witch doctors. You know, it's quite a revelation to them that if they're under the authority of Lord Jesus, they don't need to be afraid and they don't need to be doing those things. Now, because in their culture, when they are afraid, they do do an animal sacrifice Another follow-up question might be, when we are afraid of evil as Christians, what should we do? And of course, the answer is turn to Jesus in prayer, praying for protection, praying that God would help us live by faith and not by fear, praying that we, we would trust Jesus has the greater power and not be afraid. So using prayer as maybe a part of the application to that passage. Uh, then I would do the same for part two of the story. 
where we see the responses of the people. So first I'd ask questions that gets them retelling that part of the story. And then I would do dig deeper questions that helps them analyze what we learn from that part of the story and apply it to ourselves. One of the really interesting things about the application from part two of this story is that Jesus tells the healed man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, one of the things I've noticed about illiterate or low educated people is that they feel that they can't serve God. They think we can't serve God because we can't read or we can't teach. But one of the things I like to draw out from this verse is that everyone, no matter what their educational background is, can tell others what God has done for for them. Everyone can share testimonies about how good God has been to them. And that's one way that they can be serving God. That line at the end of this story about the man who goes away and tells them how much the Lord has done for them is really beautiful, isn't it? It is. And I guess that's the hope for these people we're sharing the story with. Mark 5 is a wonderful passage of seeing Jesus' power over demons, over evil, darkness. Joel, I'm sure you've had time yourself to think through this. Um, how has this passage helped you love Jesus more personally? Yeah, I love how in this story, Jesus doesn't push the man with the evil spirits away and get on with his day. So the man sort of pesters him as soon as he gets off the boat a man who uh, is poorly dressed, who most likely is stinky and wild in his behaviour, a man who shrieks and cuts himself. I guess it's the kind of man that we try to avoid or that we just don't know what to do with, isn't it? Um, But Jesus sees the man's need and without hesitation wants to help him. Uh, And Jesus' compassion and his desire to rescue everyone that comes to him and to receive everyone that comes to him Uh, to rescue them not just from evil and Satan, but I guess also from our own evil hearts and sin. Um, Yeah, it just makes makes me appreciate Jesus and all that belonging to him means. As you teach this story, what kind of responses have you seen people have to Jesus and his power over the devil? Yeah, for the hill tribe people who live in constant fear of evil spirits, a fear that really affects their whole lives. Um, It's been wonderful to see them released both from sin and the burden of that, but also liberated from the fear of evil and Satan. So most villages have strict rules that you're supposed to abide by in order to protect you from evil. So rules like what you can and can't eat, uh, the time that you need to perform an animal, animal sacrifice, even when you can and you can't get pregnant. Um, And it's been amazing to see genuine believers standing up to these rules, not agreeing to participate in the animal sacrifices, even though it means that their neighbours and their family members are really angry with them. (laughs) I mean, it's just a sign that they have true faith and that they're really looking to please God and not man. It must must be such a transformation, you see. I, I can imagine when you were speaking earlier about the animist beliefs, That must be a constant looking over your shoulder, a constant looking around the corner being like, how am I going to be caught out next? And then for somebody to be totally transformed Mm. and now live under the rule of Jesus, who has power over all of that, they must be so liberated. They are. They're just liberated from that, you know, life destroying fear 
that must be crippling at every stage of every day. It is. It is. And it's wonderful to see them liberated from that, living in a way that's so different mm. to the people around them and really being a witness for Jesus. Though, as you say, I can imagine neighbours and mm. family members being very angry at that yeah. because they must, they're still thinking in that animist way and thinking, gosh, if my family member or my next door neighbour is no longer appeasing these evil spirits, mm. goodness knows what's going to happen to us. Yeah. Well, the Christians in the villages sadly are a scapegoat for things that mm. go wrong. Mm. So if there is a bad harvest that year, or if, you know, a neighbour mm. does have a serious accident, it can be blamed on their, you know, their neighbour who's a, who's become a Christian. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's very difficult for them. So how do the Christians tend to respond? Do they try to kind of fight their cause or what do they tend to do? Um, sometimes if it gets really bad with a neighbour or a relative, uh, it might be that they ask their church leader to come and sort of be a go-between, mm. to try and sort of uh, be a mediator in that situation and speak on their behalf about their faith in Jesus and why they don't do those things anymore, mm. uh, why they don't participate in the animal sacrifices. So sometimes, you know, the kind of the whole church gets involved in trying to speak mm. to the village about mm. those things. Yeah. And I can see how in those moments, having these kind of passages on their hearts, knowing it back to front, must give them such courage to stand up to potentially angry neighbours and family members. Yeah. And on that, Joelle, how have you seen stories like this one in Mark 5 encourage people in your context who do face oppression like that? Yeah, well, it's important for them to see in the Gospels that Jesus has power of Satan and evil, as we've already been saying. And of course, we see that clearly in the stories where Jesus delivers people from, from evil spirits. Um, we see in those stories that the spirits have power over the person who's possessed, uh, so much so that the people around them are unable to restrain them. And sometimes they resort to cha chaining that person up. Um, so we know that evil spirits are strong and powerful. But then, you know, in those stories, Jesus comes on the scene and suddenly the evil spirits are begging Jesus not to harm them. And they suddenly, you know, these strong spirits have suddenly become a trembling wreck. And so I think these stories really help the Hill Tribe people have, you know, the Hill Tribe Christians have confidence that if they are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they no longer need to be afraid. Jesus is much, much more powerful. This has all been so useful, Joelle. Do you have any advice for Bible teachers anywhere in the world who are wondering if it's still worth the grind of teaching the Bible? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I think teaching the Bible through small group Bible studies is really hard work and it takes mm. a lot of time mm. and preparation, but I think it's really worth it. So I think we need to trust that God primarily changes people's lives through his word and it can be tempting sometimes to make our small group meetings about sharing and caring. But actually, the most caring thing we can do is point people to Jesus in the Bible. And so above all else, we need to be trusting God's word to do the work, keep opening the Bible with people as much as we can, and just investing our time preparing good and engaging Bible lessons and not cutting corners, but doing it properly. Thank you, Joelle, so much for coming in. It's been such an encouragement for us to hear about you and your work in Cambodia. We hope you enjoy the rest of your time on break here in England and wish you the best when you go back to Cambodia. Thanks so much. It's been great meeting with you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not like and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts? 
The Bible Matters Project is funded entirely by the generous gifts of our listeners. And if you yourself would like to become a financial partner with us, you can find more details on how to give in the show notes. The Bible Matters Podcast is an initiative of St. Helens Bishopsgate and is created by myself, Tiff Stromso, along with Leo Elborn. Music for this episode was written and produced by Leo Elborn and Josh Stidwell. You can listen to more of Josh's work at Stids with a one, that is S-T-1-D-S. Thanks again for joining and we hope to see you again soon.